0: Our, our lord thank you for meeting with us in our worship we don't ever want to take that for granted at all and our lord we pray that you would work in us to assess the finding moments and to always stand with you and with your people and now lord this is a lot of material but it is the stuff that we will be using when we work with people we ask in christ's wonderful name amen, amen. thank you mrs Shishko. Yeah, okay um all right here's where we are in the book okay now this book was written 20 years ago some things have changed especially material at the beginning we'll comment on that in a moment so here's where we are there's there's four elements that go into all biblical counseling loving people knowing people speaking to them and then also doing certain things and this week and next week, we're going to focus on the knowing aspect, okay? So this is from Tripp's book, A Lot of Stuff in 20 Pages. Most, most of our relationships are surface ones. My comment, because this, this, these notes were done for a women's group years ago, it's even worse 20 years later that most of our relationships are surface ones. In fact, we don't have many relationships today. It used to be when you walk on the street to somebody, at least you'd say hello. Well, you do that in New York, as I've said, that's an act of aggression. When you say hello to somebody, they wonder, or they got the earbud, they're not interested. They're listening to their music or whatever it would be. So it's a lot worse today, but still most of our relationships are surface ones. Now, if you're going to be instruments in the Redeemer's hands, you've got to be able to enter into the deepest and truly important parts of the lives of others. In other words, the real world, not the bubble. Breaking through the casual. Quoting Tripp, There are things we know about each other, but they fool us into thinking that we know the human beings who live within the borders of those details. Beautiful metaphor. So, We fail to pursue them with good questions. This sets the stage for all kinds of misunderstandings. This isn't just in biblical counseling, this is in life. Our effectiveness as instruments of Christ is blunted because we don't know others well enough to know where change is needed or where God is actively at work. And now, my comment, we cannot get to this point in helping others if we've not shown true love to and for them. And I would add to that, that's especially true today. Now, if you go back to the... And I'm not faulting this method. I, I, I learned it, and, I, and, and others did, and I think it, and it's very helpful to go back to. But you know, we were told, <clears throat> when you meet people... You, you ask certain diagnostic questions. If you died tonight, uh, would the Lord let you into heaven? That's a good diagnostic question to ask. Um, don't use the God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your, wife, for your life, because that can be kind of a, a fault if they're outside of Christ. But, but um, uh, th- that kind of diagnostic question. Here's the thing. You go to most people today, and you pop that question they're going to wonder what planet you're from. It's, it's not that it's a bad question. I mean, a friend of mine, dear friend, I love him dearly. And he says, I, I talk to a person and within 30 seconds I tell them about Jesus. And I admire that in one sense. But it turns people off. They feel like objects, okay? So, so you cannot get to this point helping others if you haven't shown true love for them. Uh, a book, I'm not suggesting you read it, but it is excellent. In fact, Joe, you'd appreciate it. It's written by two navigators. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's called I Once Was Lost. Now, it was written six years after Ted Tripp, Paul Tripp wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Doug Everett's and Doc Shelf, uh, They were with the navigators, and, and they're, well, a little bit younger than we are, Joe, which, given our age, isn't saying a whole lot, but, but they're younger than we are. and And they were they had learned kind of the navigator method in the 1980s and the 1990s. And they found out working on college campuses, it wasn't working anymore. And so they just interviewed people, and, and their book, we went through it in Franklin Square, it's great. It has thresholds that we are to go through in dealing with people. The, the subtitle of the book is What Postmodern Skeptics Taught Us about their path to Jesus. And threshold one, brace yourself for a skeptic. I've got, to, I've got to trust this person who's speaking to me. Joe, this might be a little bit like what you and I were discussing a bit ago. Uh, people who have had bad experiences with Christians and with pastors, they don't trust you. They, they, they wonder, you're suspect to them. Are you a Mooney? Are you a Jehovah's Witness? Are you you know what kind of a crackpot are you? And so you have to take the time just to get to know people. Now this is this is Bill speaking. I have a a woman since being recorded. I won't mention it, but but it's a woman that Margaret and I see um, a few two or three four times a year at gatherings, and she's from Muslim background, and she's a very noble woman actually. Her story is fascinating. But she doesn't want to talk about Jesus. Now, I guess I could try to intrude things and I do try to say things where I can, but she ain't there yet, okay? And took her a while just to trust us. I hate to be blunt, but one of the things I'm praying for is when this woman who's 82 yeah. has to go to the hospital for something. I'm looking forward to visiting her and seeing that hopefully as a defining moment. Okay, so so you gotta be sensitive to how, how God's will. But anyway, okay. So number two. Why our relationships are trapped in the casual. And this first one is even more true 20 years after Paul Tripp wrote the book. Busyness keeps us from true intimacy. And I struggle with that. You do too. We are so busy with things and and not bad things But everything, just, you know, I I, I tell Margaret, I am oppressed by emails, and they're important. But the time you spend with those, you can't spend face-to-face with people. And so busyness keeps us from true intimacy, and we could take a lot of time. How do you cut away some of that busyness? Now, less so today, people think that their struggles are unique, and they're not. This is a good thing. Because with the advent of YouTube and Facebook and everything is out there, people are less inclined to say their struggles are unique. They're not. There's everybody and his cousins out there putting dirty laundry about his or her life. But number three, we don't want to face what our struggles reveal about the true conditions of our hearts. That's true. We're broken people, folks. We're all messes. We're all grace, ca- at least those in Christ, we're grace cases. And people don't want to admit that. They want to be able to say, I got my ducks in place. I got my world well-ordered. And boy, when God shakes that up, he will. But people don't want to open up. So true friendship, writes Tripp, calls you out of the darkness. Listen to this. The darkness of personal privacy, which may be personal privacy in front of your computer. right? into the loving candor of mutual concern. It moves you from being a sealed envelope to being an open letter. And then connected with all this, why, again, we're trapped in the casual. People don't really, they don't see their need. We'll we'll see their need, but they don't see it, okay? And nobody asks why. Nobody really talks. Nobody really opens up, or very rarely do they do. But it is in truly close relationships that Christ does his good work. I can't overstate that. Again, it's nauseating to hear this. I don't need the church because Jesus is my personal savior. Folks, I'm at this point when I hear people say that, excuse me, you make me want to puke. Because Jesus is building a church. And when I think they're ready to bear it, I say, "No, with all due respect, you are speaking with insufferable arrogance. You don't need the Lord's people. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, if the, if, the, if we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sins... Somehow, forgiveness of sins is connected with the fellowship with other sinners, okay? So, uh, it, so it, it's in, but it's in those relationships that Christ does his good work. Why? He's in a relationship with us. Personal ministry, writes Tripp, is the careful ministry of Christ and his word to the struggles of heart that have been uncovered by good questions from a committed friend. That, that's Look at that again. Personal ministry is the careful ministry of Christ and His Word to the struggles of heart that have been uncovered by good questions from a committed friend. And whatever else, a biblical counselor is a good questioner. I mean, John Mallon John Mallon can put you flat on your back with one question, and he doesn't do it to control, but he knows he's got to get to your heart, and he does it. Okay. Uh, Now keep in mind that this can and will be uncomfortable for people, and probably for you in asking the question, but it can also be a source of temptation. And this is is not Tripp, but this is me. Women should engage in this personal ministry with women, and men with men. This is what prompted the study originally. Titus chapter 2, 3 through 5. And the younger and the older women are to teach the younger women to be lovers of their husbands, to be self-controlled, and so on. There is that role of older women. Isn't isn't it wonderful how careful under the Holy Spirit Paul is? He doesn't say old women. <laughs> yeah. Older. Women, okay, and a twenty-nine year old, literally, maybe older to the eighteen year old or whatever it would be. But there's specific role given for women, and I um I I just in principle I do not do long term counseling with a, with another woman. I just won't. But part of it is you're t- to be too given to temptation. If she's having problems in her marriage and she sees you as this demigod working with her, guess what can happen? And also, a man doesn't understand a woman the way a woman does. So anyway, um, that, that's Titus 2, 3 through 5. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And this is, uh, I didn't bring my Bible, but Jesus is our sympathetic high priest who's not unable to identify with us our weakness, but he was in all points, like as we are, and yet without sin. Sympathetic. He enters into our lives and our weakness. That's the key text to represent Christ. Christ is the helper to us because he is a sympathetic high priest. That is, he truly understands us. And here's empathy. He enters into our situation. Jesus gets it. Now, a, a simple illustration When I am exhausted and I am in the study and the Lord's day is impinging on me and I feel my weakness, thanks, Joe, I feel my weakness, it's easy for me to think, Lord Jesus, I know you really don't understand this, but I'm exhausted. That's false. Jesus bore the cross. He had to have somebody help him with it jesus you get it with me okay and that's what you've got to communicate to people that the sympathetic high priest jesus really gets it and this you talk about a definition of sympathy wow from paul tripp sympathy here means Christ's sympathy to be moved by what has moved someone else Christ's sympathy is so strong that our problems become his. Now that's technically, that's empathy. This is much more than feeling sorry for someone in a tough spot. It is understanding what it is like to live in the middle of someone else's circumstances coupled with a desire to do whatever is in your power to help that person out. Wow! You talk about sympathy and a definition for it. That's it. And, and my comment, for us to be good instruments of the sympathetic Christ, we will need to take the time to ask good questions and listen well. Why? Jesus knew what was in the heart of man as to his godhood, He knew what was in the heart of people, and that informed his manhood. But we're not God. We don't know what's in the heart of people. You've got to get people to talk, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, okay? So, uh, before we get to the questions, we will get to that. Be very careful of making assumptions. If we simply assume things about others, we will not ask questions. Now let me give an illustration of your marriage, OK? Let's say you, you, for you who are married, you and your wife, for whatever reason, doesn't have to be a bad reason. you're, you're just very busy. And you don't talk to one another a lot. You, you don't eat the meals on the run. at night, you're too tired even to speak. you give a good night kiss, and that's it, you turn in, you might pray. but, but you don't, you're, you're not communicating with one another a lot. And then the wife notices an abruptness in the husband. And the husband notices a coldness in the wife. And what happens at that point is you begin to make assumptions that, in most cases, are wrong. Well, he must have somebody else that he's going after. Uh, maybe she, whatever it would be. So and don't make assumptions. If you simply assume things about others, you won't ask questions. If you don't ask, it says Trip, you open yourself up to a world of invalid conclusions and misunderstandings. And you can fill in the blanks. You got a coworker, and you haven't talked with your coworker, and the coworker's changed. And you got all you got the whole theory, like God. You know, you know everything about this person. You've got this big, sophisticated way of looking. Until you find out the real world and you realize your view was wrong and you built, you'd already been but men, right? We build a solution right away on a false assumption. That's like trying to build a house on quicksand. doesn't work. So in dealing with others, we must keep in mind two things. A, God as the Creator and Lord, there are certain universal human truths And you learn them from the Word of God, whether people believe them or not. People say, I don't believe in God's sovereignty. Well, you know, it doesn't make any difference whether you believe it or not. It's still true. God is absolutely sovereign. The fall of man. Well, I don't believe we're fallen creatures. Really? You ever read the newspaper? Come on, look at your heart. That's true whether you believe it or not. Sin and guilt. Salvation and grace. Whether people believe it or not, these are realities. That's part one. But then two... Okay, the the in dealing with others, you got to keep in mind too, God is our creator and lord, and there are unique individual details. You learn these from asking good questions. And don't equate similar experience with identical experience. I know exactly what you're going through. I went through the same thing five years ago, that'll turn people off right away. You don't know exactly what they're going through because you're not that person. There may be similarities, but that's not identical to it. This will give you invalid assumptions about what you are dealing with in them. For personal ministry to be effective, writes Tripp, the principle is simple. Don't assume, Ask. Assuming that you already know what you need to know almost always leads to misunderstandings that blunt and derail personal ministry. If you think you can take something for granted, ask anyway. Only then can you be sure that the help you offer will fit this person's situation. The person says, I am depressed. Don't say, well, I get depressed, too. That short circuits it. Shows you want to talk about yourself. Tell me, tell me about your life. To just talk, okay, you're depressed, so tell me what's going on with your life. Open-ended questions are huge. Um, well, when you find out this person is getting three hours of sleep a night and is not eating properly, and his business is <coughs> falling apart, Well, that'll give you a little different perspective on what you're dealing with with his depression, okay? Number five, making sure your conclusions are correct. Always, now don't do this pedantically, but always ask people to define their terms. The what question. We just had a huge fight. Well, what does that mean? I mean, was there there physical violence? What's huge? Um, you know, did you throw furniture around? Did you, did you hurl a coffee pot at somebody? I don't know. But what do you mean by a huge fight? This is a big problem. Uh, and usually it's not as big as they think it is, but, they, but, but well, what do you mean by a big problem? Tell me why it's big. Tell me why it, it looms over you. What, is your asking? We have a long history of this. Well, how long is long? Well, I think it started a week ago. Well, that's different than we started this on our first date, okay? And here's the big one. She always, fill in the blank. She, or the other one is everyone. I remember in Franklin Square early on when, none of you was in here. No, Margaret, you were. You remember it. And it was, here's the bull in the china shop in a very traditional OP church. I mean, it was, even Joe, you weren't there at the time. But, but, uh, and, and I would get this in a session meeting. Everyone is saying, and I thought, oh, brother, <laughs> I guess we better start packing more. get out of here. And finally I said, well, uh, how many is everyone? And it ended up being one or two. The sign, we found this out about the sign. Complaint about the sign being too bright turn it off one anonymous complainer See, so so you see what a difference what what questions what questions ask um always ask people to clarify what they mean with concrete real life illustrations that's the how question give me an example my husband's cruel to me give give me an example uh, my, my wife doesn't speak with me to me respectfully. T- t- give, give me a specific. You'll ask that loads of times, okay? That gets people to descend to, to the concrete. Always ask people to explain why they... Res- now, this one, we were always taught by Jay Adams, never ask why, because people don't know why they do things. There's a lot of motives in people, so don't ask why. Well... Maybe he had the self-control to do it. I don't, neither did Paul Tripp. So always ask people, to explain why they responded as they did in the examples they have given me. And you'll get something like that. Well, you know, well, I get angry. I get angry with my coworker or with other people. Well, why? They just push my buttons, okay? Well, what do you mean by that, okay? What, what are the circumstances that, that aggravate you? So get them to open up and develop things, Okay. Then, number six, you'll get some questions in a moment. Learning to ask good questions. Our thinking always rides on the rails of our questions. That's why I like Paul Tripp. His his metaphors are terrific. Good thinkers like to walk around a topic and look at it from different angles. Good thinkers don't make uncorroborated assumptions, and they don't allow themselves to think they know more than they actually do. And that's a big temptation for a biblical counselor. You've dealt with this anxiety, this depression, this anger for 40 years in people. And you know automatically what needs to be said. Uh-uh, don't do that. You've got to look at the specific situation before you. So you don't allow yourself to think you know more than you actually do. Good questions themselves, especially questions we don't ask ourselves, are part of Christ's work through us. In other words, we've got to learn to ask questions of ourselves too that we don't do. Think of the way Jesus asked questions of others. In fact, you want a great study. Go through the Gospels and highlight. Just get one Bible that you can do this with and highlight Jesus' questions and let them probe you. Will you also go away? Whoa. (coughs) Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss, ooh, um, Jesus, uh, oh, who do you say that I am? And you'll be astounded the number of questions that, that Jesus asked when you're reading C.S. Lewis's The Narnia Chronicles. Notice the questions Aslan asks, and Lewis Lewis knew the power the power of a question. They are part of Christ's work, asking questions, of giving sight to the blind. They help people see their lives through biblical lenses. They help people to change. How did you, how did you benefit from what you did? How did others benefit from what you did? Don't say, was that loving? <laughs> How is that loving toward your brother or your sister? How did that edify them when you spoke? Now about good questions, always ask open-ended questions that cannot be answered with a yes or no. And there's some powerful examples that I use. Um, I've developed my own way of doing it, but open-ended questions about marriage. So so stay away from yes or no questions. You, You get nowhere with those things. You lose your anger a lot? Yes. Um, have you learned methods to cope with it? No. Do you really care about it? No. <laughs> it doesn't help out. Um, you know, how, does, how does your anger make you feel? How does it make your coworker feel? What's it done to your wife when you've blown up at her? That kind of a thing. Ask a combination of, I love this, survey and focused questions. Survey questions scan the various areas of a person, li- person's life and situation and look at them as a whole. Tell me about a typical day. That's a survey question. Tell me about a typical week. Um, tell me what it's like when you get into work and in your work environment. Okay, so, so, so that's a survey question. Focused questions look intensively into one area of a person's life. And the purpose of a, of a focused question is to uncover root problems and causes. What is it? You, you, you've told me that, that you live with a lot of fear. What is it that makes you afraid? Um, what is it that makes you anxious? What is it that makes you angry? So there's a focused question, okay? Don't ask, don't you know that anger is bad? <laughs> That'll turn them off too, and all anger isn't bad, okay? Um, but that's for another day. Remember that certain kinds of questions reveal certain kinds of information. What do you need to know about the person in order to help him or her? So here, here are the what questions that give you general information. And incidentally, now I don't do this with a lady. unless it's, well, I'll say, are you young enough? young lady but I can still ask you how old you are but once it gets beyond about 25 I usually don't ask that but it's important a woman has suddenly changed toward her husband and she has become cold and she's not interested in intimacy and she's gotten kind of angry with things well if she's in her mid to late 40s there is something called menopause. And if she has menopause, that's not a matter of being old man or new man or old woman or new woman. That's a matter of being woman. Okay, so you understand. And there is a, there is a male equivalent of menopause. It's not hormonal, but, it, but it's emotional. Okay, so, so you know, it, it again, do it discreetly, but, you know, how old are you? Um, here's a man who just turned sixty-five and he retires, and uh, that's a critical age for a man and a woman too. Okay, so so being discreet, asking about that. Tell me about your work background. Tell me about your upbringing. What questions? What what was your what was your home life like? And and if there's been a divorce, uh, and when a child was twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, you pull the carpet out from under him, or her. And that affects them. Okay, That's an example. How questions reveal the way something was done. Um, how, uh, 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 tell me what came about. That's a how question. How, t- tell me what happened in this situation. Why? Uncover the person's purposes and desires and goals or motivation. Now you're getting to the heart. I don't like people walking on my turf. Boom. Well, that happens in life. Okay. So, so that's a why question. How often? Where did it happen? That reveals themes and patterns in a person's life. Um, in dealing with abuse, you must ask this, because there is a cycle of abuse. I've seen it. Uh, a, a man is is abusive to his wife. He yells at her. He might be it, physical violence. You deal with that a little different way. He yells at her. He tries to control her and manipulate her. He's a volcano erupting, and so on. And then you meet in the counseling session. You say, you know, you need, you need to repent, brother. I will get this one. This this is my fill in the blank for the nationality. This is my blank nationality background coming out. I say, excuse me, this isn't your nationality coming out, it's your own sin coming out. Well, I'm sorry for what I did. And this is me. Baloney to your being sorry. Did you ask forgiveness of your wife? Come on, get serious. And I've seen men get down on their hands and knees and ask forgiveness of their wives. And you think everything's going to be fine. Four weeks later, same thing comes up. Okay, so, so finding out when, uncovering the order of events. And ask a progressive line of questions. Okay? in which each question is based on information uncovered in the previous questions. Ask yourself, what do I need to know about what I have just heard? Uh, how often did this happen? What were the circumstances? Was your husband drinking at that time? Were you, had there been a, I don't know what it is, but, but, but unpack. It's kind of like an onion, you know, onion, unpeeling layers of onions. Uh, asking good questions, says Tripp, is vital to helping people to face who they really are and what they're really doing. As sinners, we all tend to recast our own history in self-serving ways. Because of this, we all need people who love us enough to ask, listen, and having listened to ask more. In the Messiah's hands, our questions can become keys that open people's prisons and cause them to rely on Christ in new and profound ways. Through our questions, Christ changes people. Let me ask you a question. You've described a life-dominating habit. Do you believe you can pull up the root of that and change your heart? Uh, if they say yes, i <laughs> you know, lot more work. To say no. I realize I can't. Then you say, "Fine, we can get somewhere." Jesus said, "Without me, you can do nothing, but with Him, that can change." Okay, so so that's what it means. That's what Trip is getting at through our questions. Christ changes people, and these are some examples of open-ended marriage questions. And and the, the, these are these are good ones if you're going to do marriage counseling. Uh, At least develop your own way of putting it. But think of yourself being asked this. What things did you see in him that made you want to marry him? That's that's fascinating. If a couple says, We just enjoy talking about everything together, that's great. You know, you deal with, with communication issues with them. What were your goals for your marriage when you were engaged? What things in your marriage make you sad? What things in your marriage make you happy? There's good open ended questions. Uh, this is one of my favorites. If you could wave a wand and change your marriage or change your life, whatever, how would you change it? Be specific. And don't stop there. I, I usually say, give me three examples. So they crystallize things. And that will give you a view of their heart. I want to make a lot of money. Okay, the well, Lord can take away your money. But see, that, that reveals the heart of, of people. Okay? In what ways do you think God is honored by your marriage? In what way do you think God is dishonored by your marriage? Oh, boy, there's, that's a doozy. How would you describe your communication with your husband or with your wife? Tell me how you and your husband arrive at decisions. That's a good one. You know, if the wife says, I, I thought we we're supposed to make decisions together. And Leslie says, we do make decisions together. I told you I was going to go out and buy a Mercedes. <laughs> you don't have to go very far with that one, okay? Uh, How do you make decisions? How do you resolve conflicts in your marriage? How would you describe your spiritual life as a couple? And don't be afraid to ask that. Are there couples you look up to? What is it about your marriages that you respect and long for? There they'll give their hearts out, right? Why do you think you've struggled as a couple? What do you see as the strength of your marriage? What do you see as your weaknesses? What do you think you need to do as a couple to get... From where you are to where you need to be? That's a good one to ask. Tell me about the marriage of your dreams. Again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What things could your husband do to really change your marriage? Why do you mention these things? There you go. Why, why do you mention these things? What problems in your marriage do you see as your responsibility? Where do you need to change? Or how do you need to pluck beams out of your own eyes. when somebody's saying, she, 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 you don't have to go very far and say, ah, now that we're beginning to put some things together, um, you've been pointing at your wife, point your finger at yourself. What about you? Where, Where do you need to change? And say it graciously, say it lovingly. What specific things have led you to conclude that your marriage needs help? What do you think God is doing in your marriage right now? That's a great one to ask. What do you think keeps you from solving your problems as a couple? Tell me how your marriage has changed over the years. That's a very important one to ask. A little key. You find out that one of the spouses lost a child, uh, a sister or a brother, parents, all in the space of five years there will be changes in that marriage. And, and, and you need to know about what those are. When you're hurt or angry with your husband, what do you do and why? How do you communicate dissatisfaction to your husband? This was, I remember, dealing primarily with ladies. Pick one area of your marriage where you think you have problems, describe what's wrong and what each of you has done to try to solve it. And that will give you an idea where they're, you know how they function with things. In what ways have you communicated or attempted to communicate love and appreciation to your husband or to your wife? And I, don't, I, I told you the story, I told this with the Norwegians, when it was men of a superior passion. And Norwegians apparently are not very passionate people, I guess because they're from the North Country and, so we're in the conference, up in Maine, which is not a very passionate. I'm up in Maine if you're, you go, nope, that's about it. But I'm uh, dealing with men of a superior passion, and these Norwegian guys are laughing, and they said, uh, hey, you know, you've got a lot of Norwegians here. We're not passionate people. And he said, hey, you, you hear the story about the Norwegian guy? He loved his wife so much, he almost told her once. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. yeah. So that's, you know, if you've got that kind of a thing, then you really want to need to correct that. God tells us a lot of ways, so much He loves us. Um, And what are the biggest hot buttons in your marriage? There's open-ended questions, and and you can come up with your own. The point is to ask questions that require the person to examine himself or herself and to answer in a self-disclosing manner. And always remember the goal in gathering correct information from questions is so that you might specifically and graciously point people to the specific and gracious resource, resources that are in the lord jesus christ we're not doing these things for the sake of our control over others and too many counselors can forget that but for the sake of christ's changing work in those we have grown to love in personal relationships. And if you really love them, you won't abuse them. Okay? Now, my only last note here, always communicate hope in the gospel and help in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Always. But they were so miserable, they were so hateful, I thought they were going to throw me out of the house. Well, you have a Lord who was crucified, and he was the one who prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Always communicate hope that comes in the gospel, which you've got to believe, and help in Christ whom you to believe by the Holy Spirit. And my last word, hopeless, is not in the Christian vocabulary. When people say to you, Pastor, it's not going to do any good, we've been to counselors, our situation is hopeless, lovingly stop and say, excuse me, hopeless is not in the Christian vocabulary, because God is a God of hope. And so let's get that clear right away. If you're in here and already you really think nothing's going to happen, according to your unbelief, be it unto you, God is a God of hope. And, and so, so that okay, that's enough.